Welcome to Roll with Adventure, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination, from our world to the far-off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and of course, magic. We are delighted to bring you this adventure from our imagination to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us in this podcast, please visit us at RollWithAdventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. Hello and welcome to Roll with Adventure. This session's campaign is of salt and blood. My name is Cass, and I am the dungeon master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This session begins on the 26th of Altor, in the year 1069 PR, 11 days after the Dauntless entered the Mistwall. Now, before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, what intelligent delight or mind-numbing tale have you to share with us tonight? I guess I'll go first. We've been having a little bit of snow here. And I had always been told that there is a point at which it is too cold for it to be able to snow. And I thought, I wonder how cold that has to be. Honestly, we're nowhere near that. It is not that cold here. It's just cold enough for snow. And colder than it would normally be here. Anyway, so I looked it up and I was like, how cold does it have to be before it can't snow anymore? Turns out there is no temperature at which it is too cold for snow. It's just that as it gets colder, it's harder for the air to hold the water vapor necessary for snow. But theoretically, snow is always possible. So there we go. That's a thing that I learned. I feel like I'm going to take a plus two because I have debunked a long-held belief. Nice. Well, I'm not... I'm sure I learned something new. In fact, I know I had something and I just... It's gone. But I was reminded of one of my favorite words today. Because on my way home, I drove by a whole group of deer. A herd of deer. And I went, oh yeah. It's like dusk. Deer are out because they're crepuscular. Crepuscular is a great word, and it is basically the word for animals that are awake right at the beginning of the day and right at the end of the day. So instead of being nocturnal or diurnal, they're crepuscular. So there's your fun vocab word of the day. I'm going to take a plus one because I really like that word. Emmy, have another plus one because I really like that word too. I too love crepuscular. Um, wonderful word to share, Emmy. Thank you. I learned this week not to wrap presents with duct tape. You should always have an ample supply of scotch tape. Because if you need to resort to whatever tape there is, duct tape is not the option. My gifts ended up looking like body bags. And it was fun, but not recommended. So I will be taking a minus two this week. You know, I really don't have a whole lot of facts. I did learn something spicy about, it's a rumor, it's about the butter. 
Have you all heard the rumor about the butter? All right. Well, I, I won't say it because I don't want to spread it. But I really have no new... Uh, <laughs> I really have no new facts. I'm going to take a minus two because that was a really bad dad joke. But mm-hmm. I love dad jokes. That was great, Carlos. My awesome fact, for me, because I like sci-fi and science and space stuff, I watched a YouTuber who does a bunch of reports on recent findings, and it turns out scientists have discovered the largest cluster of galaxies kind of chained together. Uh, Why that's special is there's a theory called the cosmological principle that the universe is distributed evenly or will eventually be distributed evenly. And these clusters being so close together to almost form essentially a structure in space, which a structure is a loose term for cosmological entities, but basically it just means that they're so close together you can almost link them up. And this chain is so large that it's one fifteenth the size of the observable universe, which is one of which is the makes it the largest structure in space. It doesn't have a name yet. But I thought that was kind of cool, and the ramifications for that, along with some other oddities in space, if anyone's heard of the Boots Void, which is another scary fact that I can say for later, is that it's challenging the cosmological principle, which means if it breaks that theory, then it could actually redefine how we understand the way the universe works, including like maybe the end of the universe. Maybe it won't be heat depth that kills the universe in quadzillion trillion 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 years when we're all non-existent i'm gonna take a plus one because i find it interesting let's see what you all roll Ooh, i did well 19 i got a three plus two so five 16 15 i rolled a natural one like right on it like i was like is it a seven maybe and it is not I don't think I've ever rolled a one on this dice. This is my honey dice, so that is concerning to me. Well, it is a minus one for you, then. Yeah, it is. Hello, everyone. My name's Corey, and I play Kalina Floros, who was a human fighter that was an ex-soldier in the Tauran army. And she does not like this terrible snake creature that reminds her of the shark monster from the mansion. Hi, my name's Allie, and I am playing Maya Volta, a human cleric of Cain, and she's not really sure what to think about the shark, the, sh- not the shark monster, the snake monster thing that has been bound to the ship. The fact that it's humanoid seems like maybe, maybe there's some intelligence there. The fact that it is chained to the ship for reasons that we don't understand is like either really great because maybe it's like protecting us from being eaten or maybe it's terrible because it's some kind of nice little creature being used against its will because that's not a thing Talren would ever do. Hey everyone, it's Carlos here and I play Marcus Evander, a scout in the Talren army who assuredly is faking it till making it about knowing how to sail will never come back to haunt him. Hi everybody, I'm Emmy. I'm playing Sylvie Antias. She's a half-elf monk, and she is definitely in are-we-there-yet mode. I'm sure everybody else is going to get really tired of hearing that question. Hi, I'm Disco, and I play Alice, the radiant Genasi druid of the Half-Moon Circle, who is a walking, talking, sailing, hopefully not sinking, magic mirror. Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling.
And remember here, we roll with adventure. Tired. Fatigued. Exhausted. Eleven days. Eleven days aboard the Dauntless upon the rolling waves of the Crystelm Sea. If the sea beyond the Mistwall can even be called the Crystelm Sea anymore. Perhaps it should be more aptly named the Sea of Mists, you might wonder. You have lived the life of the Dauntless these eleven days. Sleep, food, and leisure, cut into four or two hour segments, spurred on by the endless ship's bells. Splicing ropes, scouring the deck, swabbing it. Fishing with nets, and nursing your cuts, bruises, and blisters during your few brief breaks. By now, you are used to the routine of hard work and leisure time. You struggle to enjoy through your exhaustion. If you aren't working yourself to the bone, you're off watch, sitting in the stale air below deck, with your companions out of the way of the crew, with little enough energy to even talk. You realize now that there was never any reason for you to worry about being imprisoned on this ship. They work everyone so hard that no one could possibly have the energy to cause trouble. Now that you're used to the routine, and anyone suffering seasickness has earned their sea legs, Many of the colonists have relaxed. True, the ever-present threat the unknown in the surrounding mists weighs on everyone, but for their sanity, most seem to be trying to ignore it. Or perhaps they're just too tired to care anymore. It is fairly hard to ignore the mist wall, to ignore the lonely cries out in the mist. The beat of what sounds almost like wings or waves. The wake and eddy of the water as it is cut by fins of unseemly proportions. Such are the whispers by those who do not ignore it. When you are above deck, the air is so thick with humidity that it feels like the air around you is almost liquid, a feeling that seems borne out by the fact that condensation forms on everything. Even below deck, you can't escape. The air is thick and moist. The work details seem to change almost daily, and you never know who you will be working alongside. Sometimes you are with your chosen family, sometimes with other friends, and sometimes with people you can barely tolerate. The members of your watch are now fairly steady, but in the early days, some colonists were swapped back and forth following conflicts within the work parties. Some colonists have even been given new permanent assignments. For example, Almost no one could work with Lachius, and he has since been assigned to the Crow's Nest, far from anyone. 
for the past two days. You have all been assigned to mending nets and splicing ropes, just like your first shifts aboard the Dauntless. During the day, this is what you've done. Well, you've used the very nets you've mended to fish in the dark of night. But your midshipman, the unlikely master of your fates given his youth, has warned you that another work detail change is coming today. It appears today will be a day for new things. What are your thoughts as you rise for your shifts this day? I don't like the sound of that new things. What does that mean? <laughs> I think Maya in her head is going through the, the members of the work crew and who she could be paired with and she's got people that she'd like and people that she wouldn't like and she's kind of worried how it's going to pan out but also probably just like thinking about various cuts, blisters, and bruises and wondering what difficult job we'll be doing next and whether or not the blisters, bruises, and cuts will have a chance to get better or if it's just going to be a constant thing. I think Sylvie's not too worried about who she's going to be paired with. She's like, oh, I mean, I'll probably end up with Maya or maybe Kalina or, I mean, at worst, I don't know, Lena. I wonder how much longer it's going to take us to get there. I'm tired. Cass, do I still have levels of exhaustion from back when we left? You have gotten enough sleep and care from your companions that your levels of exhaustion are gone. But I will say that everyone is definitely fatigued, but you don't mechanically have levels of exhaustion. Okay. Queen is just kind of trying to go through the day. A lot of the hard work reminds her of what they used to do in the Oscar Forest, or at least how hard was pressed. But she is also ready to be off the ship. She's a bit tired of being in the cramped spaces and being exhausted all the time and doesn't like the humidity since it's almost suffocating is what it feels like which is definitely not like her hometown where even though it was on the port wasn't as heavy and she's not really thinking too much about who's on the work details uh, she's just trying to count the days when they're off the boat because she is sick and tired of being on this being so cramped up and kind of just shoveled along I think Marcus would probably be used to hard work from A, being in the army, being farm, used to the heat, but the uneasiness of being on a ship is very apparent. He doesn't like boats that much, uh, somehow landed where he is. And that also, too, is on his mind. But also, too, the idea of going over to this new land and constant thought of the woman telling him to find the blade is in the back of his mind. Alice is welcoming of the new day as he is sure his display of his talents of looking at the weather will provide him finally, after all of this, with a comfy position just watching that, you know, and being helpful. 
and he's sure that that's what he's going to get today. And he kind of shakes out his hair and wraps himself up in his cloak and is ready for another day at sea. As you, along with the rest of your work detail, ascend for the ringing of eight bells, the beginning of your shift, of your watch, the humid air swirls around you, caressing you like gentle, moist fingers, carried on the light breeze that propels the Dauntless forward upon its course. As the midshipman assigns you into pairs, sailors each hand you tools. The tools that you will need. Barnacle scrapers and thick ropes attached to planks of wood. You know this is the rope swing one partner will dangle over the edge of the ship, and that the other partner will sit on it and debarnacle the ship. You've seen it demonstrated much to the chagrin of many of the more sea-hardened colonists. They'd sworn up and down that debarnacling like this was incredibly dangerous. The vessel should be careened to its side, in dry dock or on a shallow beach. The work details shouldn't be lowering people down on swings while the vessel is in motion. But all conversation had fallen silent, as one colonist had elucidated don't care. They just need to keep us all busy, all working, all tired. It doesn't matter how dangerous this is. To them, we are expendable. Don't fall in. And that had been that. As you are being paired up, Midshipman Ferreira looks towards you, Alice. No cloak. It could tangle you up in emergency. You'll need to take it off. How does Alice reply? Alice looks at him with eyes like daggers, and he will say, I, I need my cloak. It's how I protect my delicate skin from the sun's rays. I'm allergic to the sun, so it would be very bad for me. Cloak off. Did you not hear me? I said, I need to keep it on. Would you like to spend the rest of your shifts in the brig? Well, when you say it like that, fine. I'll, sure. And Alice will, with his head down, remove his cloak, revealing his glass-like skin. As Alice removes his cloak, the sunlight that filters wanly through the mist catches on his pale blue body, and behind it casts a rainbow shadow, like light through a prism. Several sailors stare, some gasp in surprise. Everyone pauses for a moment, mesmerized by Alice's unusual appearance. And then the spell is broken with a startled cry. Everyone looks up in surprise to see a man falling from the rigging, arcing towards the sea. Many rush to the side of the ship, tracking the arc of his descent. What does everyone do? Who is it that's falling? Like a colonist or a crew person? You can't be sure. You haven't seen colonists up in the rigging, though, so it probably is a member of the crew. 
but you can't be sure. Alice will throw himself overboard and turn himself into a dolphin. As a level 4 druid, your wild shape improvement allows you to take now creatures that do have a swimming speed, and you're able to do creatures up to one half CR. So you also could instead turn into a reef shark. I want to make it a mix of them, so almost like a whale shark, but dolphin-y. We'll continue to use the stats for the reef shark. The reef shark, yeah. But it will be themed to look more like a glassy version of a whale shark. Yeah, there we go. Alice will dive overboard and try and find the missing crew member. We each were given rope with a plank attached to it, right? One rope between each of you as a pair. Right, I think Maya would take her length of rope and throw one end over the side. But it probably is not going to help because she's not sure exactly where he is. But, you know, just in case. She is holding the other end of the rope in case this guy does catch it, just for the record. Marcus will assist helping the rope, holding the rope. Marcus will assist with the rope. Kalina just is going to stand ready to help Marcus and Maya, but otherwise doesn't do anything. Yeah, I think Sylvie's standing near Marcus and Maya and Kalina and just, like, staring over out into the water, trying to spot Alice or this guy that fell into the water or is falling. As each of you dive into action, Alice in a quite literal sense. Those of you that are still on board the ship, you hear an almost strange gurgling sound coming from behind you. Where Alice was standing only a brief few moments ago, you turn to see that where his prism-like shadow had fallen across the deck, a gelatinous mass of bluish-green sludge and foam quivers, undulating, before you hear a yell from another one of the sailors, a bellow, Sea Slime! And it lunges towards the nearest person. Everyone, please roll me initiative. Are you? Alice, please also roll me initiative, but you're in the water and we'll deal with that. What is a sea slime? Great. <laughs> I have a nine. Uh, it was a seven. I thought it was a one again, but it is a seven. I have an 11. I got a six. Dirty 20. Nice. I got a seven. Before we dive right into this combat, some of you have debarnaclers. We can actually say three of you have them amongst the four of you that are still on board the ship. A debarnacler counts as a club for the purposes of this combat. So you can add a club to your D&D Beyond. Uh, or you can remember this. It has the light property and it deals 1d4 plus strength bludgeoning damage. Which three of you are wielding debarnaclers? I think Maya's partner has the debarnacler because she has hold of the rope at the moment. That leaves Kalina, Sylvie, and Marcus as holding the other three debarnaclers as I will, for the sake of this combat, assume that Alice was holding a rope and not a debarnacler as part of the pairing he was in. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, I think. Marcus, you are the top of the round, then it will go to Maya, then the sea sludge will act, then it will be Kalina, then Sylvie, and then Alice. Overboard. 
intentionally. How close is the sea slime? 15 feet from you, because you moved right up to the rail of the boat to help Maya steady the swing that she threw over. Can I throw a knife at it to see what would happen? Go right ahead. Um... Does a 21 hit? 21 will hit. Eight points of damage, piercing damage. Your knife sings out through the air and collides, embedding itself, cutting into the creature, and you see that where it slams into it, does your knife, what is it? Is it just a metal knife? Does it have a leather uh, grip on it? Does it have, is it made of bone? No, Marcus would have stepped back, thrown the knife, and the knife is just a, a metal knife with a leather grip. Pretty common. As the knife embeds itself, you see that it definitely, parts of the creature sort of spurt off of it. And it quivers and jiggles. And it sort of almost pulls itself a bit around the knife, and you can almost hear the leather sizzling. Uh, probably not good to touch that thing. Maya, it's your turn. You have one hand, or do you have both hands on the swing? I mean, I have both hands on the swing. Are there people around me? Can I try to thrust it into the hands of somebody else? Do I see anybody in the crowd that I recognize? Petros. Petros, hold this for me! Okay, Miss Maya. Does he happen to be holding a debarnacler? By any chance? As luck would have it, yes, he is. Excellent. Well, in that case, I am going to thrust the ropes into his hands and then snatch his debarnacler away from him and run towards the slime. You can close with the sea slime. I'd like to try to hit it with this club. That's a dirty 20. That will hit. Oh, that's not terrible. That's five damage. I want to try to use the debarnacler a bit like a club, and I want to kind of, I'm trying to hit it towards the less occupied side of the ship in the hopes of splodging it through the railings out into the water. You're going to sort of shovel it? Combo baseball bat golf club kind of just swinging at it to like shift it thematically. Like I imagine mechanically that that's not a thing, but that's kind of the motion that Maya's making and her intent. So then I have a question for you. Would you like to actually shove, or would you like to deal damage? Oh, I'd like to shove. Instead of making an attack roll, you make a strength athletics check, contested by their strength athletics or dexterity. Do I need to roll again? No, because your strength athletics probably comes out to be the same as what your attack was. Is that right? It would be exactly the same modifier for me. Then a dirty 20 it is versus this slime's athletics or acrobatics. You will, with your baseball golf swing, smack a portion of it. And in this very weird undulating way, that portion of it sort of rises up, sort of careens almost as if it was being pulled like a yo-yo on a string up and around the side of it and slams down on the other side of it as the thing is moved five feet closer to the other edge. Help me get it overboard! And with that, it will reach out. A pseudopod. No! 
A 19 hits you. You will take three bludgeoning damage from the force of this pseudopod as it basically comes like a punch out from this creature that you have moved five feet away from you. You're still within its reach. It doesn't even move forward towards you as the pseudopod slams out and strikes you. And you will take that three bludgeoning damage and seven acid damage. Ow! As it begins to eat away at a part of exposed skin. Oh, I don't like it at all. That's terrible. My beautiful clothes that Alice made me. This is awful. I'm worried about much more than your clothes. Yeah, me too. And with that, Kalina, it is your turn. You saw Marcus hurl a knife. Maya ran into the fray, struck it, throwing it back, and now it has struck out at her and she has cried out in pain. What do you do? She'll go, Maya, that was reckless. There's a five-foot gap between Maya and the, the slime. It's a slime, right? A sea slime. Let me know what that thing looks like. A bluish sea green. And then think of it as if it has the scummy sea foam on it in places. It looks almost like what you'd expect a gelatinous mound of translucent bluish green fat floating on the water would look like. Except it's crawled up onto the boat, it appears. It's very close to kind of what I imagine, except a bit more detail. <laughs> Queen will run into that space, and then she will, following Maya's advice, try to shove the thing closer to the edge. Strength athletics check. I'm good at those. Just not today. That is a nine. It got an eight. <laughs> you will shove it five feet further, and now it is only five feet from where it could possibly be shoved overboard. Then the cleaner will go turn to my bite. Are you all right? And that'll be my turn. Sylvie, it is your turn. All right. Well, seeing all of this, Sylvie would have rushed over pretty much right behind Kalina. And she's going to try and do the same thing. It seems like it's working. So she's going to try and shove it with the barnacle scraper. And that's a 14. It got an 18. Dang it. There's a deep part of Sylvie that just wants to, like, reach out and hit it, but that seems like a bad idea, so that's all she's gonna do. With this creature now, five, almost at the edge, ripe for being pushed off, we'll go to the other side of the boat and down into the water where a Alice-turned-equivalent of a Ibrisian whale shark has dove into the water. Indeed, he has. <laughs> beneath the waves, beneath the mist wall, the water is clear. The clarity here is far better than you would expect. And you can see that it goes very deep. But looking under the water, in the distance, you can see the splashing of feet. You can see the man overboard. How far is he from me? Please roll me a d20. It's a 12, but I will say I, apparently my reef shark gets the plus two to perception. 
That was to determine how far he was from you. <laughs> what is a reef shark's swim speed? 40 feet. At the moment, he's about 50 feet away from you. I will dash. And I don't think I could do anything for my bonus action. How does he react when I approach? Can you please describe your form? Give me more detail on what it looks like to the other individual. Imagine if a beluga whale met a whale shark, right? So it's like smooth and very clearly like a mammal, but its lateral line is not uh, up and down. It's like side to side. And it's like a, you know, a pale, almost glassy hue. And how are you approaching this individual? Fast. <laughs> Completely under the water? Are you at the surface? I'm doing it like, you know, like breaststroke. So your dorsal fin is cutting through the water as you close towards this individual, this man overboard. As he flails and thrashes about. Yes, it is. Amidst the crash of the waves, and as you cut and swim, as you glide through them, you have never felt this kind of freedom, this kind of swimming with this much power before. You've never had a chance or the capabilities to take this form. And... Well, the old hag, Wellbeg Hilda, had liked to keep you in the form of a bird. A bird always had to keep itself up. But here, the very water, it seems to buoy you. This almost feels easier. More freeing. And you close with this terrified sailor. A sailor who only notices you at the last moment... How are you going to drag this sailor? By his legs. <laughs> so you're going to take a chomp? I don't see it as a chomp. More as maybe like a grapple. But if I grapple, can I move? As I have half movement speed, is that correct? If you grapple, you have half movement speed. Yeah. Let's say that he actually was only 40 feet away so that you can reach him with your movement speed and see so attempt to grapple him this turn. Because I I like this and it's cool. Thank you. Give me a strength athletics check and we will contest it with his dexterity acrobatics. So that is a 17 plus my reef shark strength, which is a plus two. So 17, 18, 19. Be very thankful that this check was not for him to keep swimming, because he got a one. <laughs> uh, so, yes, you most certainly <laughs> can grab onto him to nab his his foot. And if I remember correct, uh, whale sharks, they don't have shark, sharp-like teeth. Whale sharks are filter feeders, so... Yeah, so I am not going to filter feed on him at all. You're like gumming him and holding his his legs his leg in your jaw and then you're going to start swimming him back towards the boat. Yeah, I'm gumming him. Yes. <laughs> and I'm saying in my whale language hey, I'm actually here to help you. 
<laughs> but I don't think he speaks well. So, As you swim, there's a familiar voice in your mind as you nab onto him that goes, Oh, so he gets a free ride too. And you realize that your familiar has turned itself into a remoras. One of those sucker fish or whale suckers. A small little fish that is attached itself and is following you along. <laughs> using your speed. Matching your form. Can I communicate with it in my mind? I can, yeah. Of course you can. I would like to say you bad words. <laughs> Did you change your form without me telling you to? You changed yours. Why didn't you think that that would let me change mine? I need you to stay as a fur coat collar. Whatever. It's I kids. There's nothing you can do. Anyway. Oh, I will be once we get back to the boat. But I didn't want to get wet in down here. It would take me months to get dry. Fine. Do as do as you please. Am I gumming his leg as a no, I'm just saying in my mind, David. You're you're definitely gumming this guy's leg, and I don't know if Alice is if you're also gumming his leg as you say these things with your mind. Cause I know that sometimes when people like are saying something in their head, they'll also mutter it out loud really quietly. So he might be getting this weird leg massage in a terrifying manner. Yeah. It was awful. This is getting worse and worse. Druids. Druids, everyone. Melian was right all along. They're terrible, evil. <laughs> they gum you to death. And with that, we return to the top of the initiative order. Marcus. Marcus, Maya closed the distance, and Golf swung to push it further. Kalina closed the distance and pushed it even farther. And Sylvie attempted to, but failed. You are still on the other side of the boat. And it is right at the edge. Well, I don't know if this is a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. I will stick out my hand. I will feel the familiar magical surging through my arm. And it's almost as the moisture leaves my body into my hand. And I will let forth a blast of eldritch energy, and Marcus will whisper slightly, Kioth. And it will let loose as I cast Eldritch Blast towards the slam. Roll 17. That will hit. Six points of force damage. Now, as I have previously referenced, the vengeance of the sea, can you please roll me a d100? <laughs> okay. Oh man, can I use my actual D100 with little numbers on it? It's a golf ball. Go right ahead. No, I'm not going to do that. It will just keep rolling away. You need to record it too if you use it. I'm not. I. Ah! It's everywhere. Oh, I rolled two D10s, so that's not going to do the trick. I'm a hot mess right now. Okay. That is a 69. As you let loose this manifestation of magic. Something comes back to you that you remember hearing a really long time ago. Something that you remember hearing back when you were on fishing duty. Magic is safe and stable on land. 
but on the water, the farther you are out to sea, the more twisted and wild it can become. Can you please roll me a d4? You are currently standing at the port railing. (laughs) What if I say no? One is bow. Two is starboard. Three is aft. And four is port. Port. Four. There is a gust of wind. As you let out your blast, there is a blast of equal force that comes back at you. Please roll me a dexterity saving throw to not fall overboard into the water. Oh, you know, just typical, typical Monday night. Mark is dying. This is great. I love D&D. I rolled a natural one for an eight. So this is great. Good stuff. I'll get working on my other character here real quick. As this bolt of energy zings out and strikes the creature. It undulates and there is a cry from behind you. A very Marcus sounding cry. And a splash. And then another shout of, Man Overboard! Ah! Maya, it's your turn. Oh shoot. Oh gosh. How close is this slime to being overboard? One more hit. With a yell of frustration, Maya is going to try to swing it off the deck. It's a 13. Roll low, roll low, roll low. It's got an 11. (gasps) Yes! And with that, you hit it. The larger portion of it falls off the side. And you see it almost as if it's trying to cling to the deck. And then slowly slides backwards off of it. And falls. With a plop. You hope that the ship moves fast enough that the sea sludge won't catch up, and that it also won't get in Alice or Marcus's way. Don't have any bonus action spells to help Marcus, so that is the end of my turn. Whatever the sea sludge does, you don't know, because it's not on the boat. Kalina, it's your turn. So the thing is over, so Kalina will look back and see that Marcus isn't there, and will run over and see if she can see him. Uh, on the other side before diving in. Petros, still holding the swing that goes over the side, points with one hand. There he is! Thank you. Kalina will toss the debarnacler down on the ground, sheath her knife, and then dive in and try and get as close to Marcus as she can. You can start to get closer to Marcus. Sylvie, it's your turn. All right, hearing all this, Sylvie's going to run back over to where Marcus was and see Kalina dive into the water and go, Oh gosh, I don't... Petros is still holding this. He looks terrified. He's definitely strong, but if Kalina and Marcus both have to come up, he's definitely going to need help pulling both of them up. Yeah, that makes sense. I think Sylvie would see him be like, I'm... And be like, you're right, I need to stay here. I'm not going to do any good in the water. So she's going to stay there and just hate that she can't really help very much. Alice, you have this man clamped in your jaws. Are you going to speed back towards the ship? 
Yeah, can I reach the side of the ship? If you dash, you'll be able to catch up with the ship, even though it's still moving, next turn. Okay, I will do that. Can you also give me a perception check? Sure. I have blind sight, by the way. Um, we're 30 feet around me. It's perfectly crystal clear, so this is something you'd be seeing off in the distance. Nine plus two, so nine. It's an eleven. It's a calm, placid day. Beneath the surface. I was going to say my passive perception's a twelve, but I don't think that that matters. What a nice, calm day to be this creature. Marcus, a moment ago, you were hurling a bolt of magic, and then you had the dawning realization as a wind, a palpable force slammed into you and sent you sprawling backwards over the edge as you remembered a very old tale to not use magic on the open waves. And then you hit the water. The water is cool. Not frigid. What do you do? A moment later, Kalina jumps diving overboard for you. I don't think Marcus can swim. Please give me a strength athletics check. Oh, <laughs> that's a four. You are trying to paddle, but you're having a really hard time. You aren't really coordinated enough in your attempts to swim and you're a bit shaken from falling off and you keep going under and then popping up and then going under and popping up but you aren't really able to make much forward momentum <laughs> I'm dying Maya it's your turn I am at such a loss I don't actually think Maya's that great of a swimmer either like I think she's a passable swimmer could probably keep herself afloat, but definitely not such a strong swimmer that she should jump into the ocean and try to rescue a drowning person. The side of the rope, th uh, sorry, the side of the boat that Petros is on is the side that Marcus fell off? Yep. Okay, Maya is gonna rush over there and say, is there some way we can angle the rope to them? You see down aft that someone is unrolling a rope ladder. Mm. But they're fumbling with it. Oh, uh, can I help them? Of course. Excellent. And with that, you can help them get it th flipped over the side. Whatever the sea sludge is doing is unknown. Kalina, it's your turn. You can reach Marcus. Give me an athletics check. Okay, I'm supposed to be good at these. 20. Dirty. That's good. You can reach Marcus and you can get his head up and start swimming back towards the boat. It's definitely not fast and the boat they've dropped a few of their sails so that the boat is not moving as quickly but it still has forward momentum. Can you give me a perception check? Oh, I like these. 17. Something is cutting through the water heading in your direction. 
a fin. A blue fin. And with that, Sylvie, it's your turn. Okay. Sylvie's just barely managing self-control enough to not throw herself over the side of the ship because, sort of like Maya, I don't know that she would actually be very helpful in the ocean. So I think that she's going to see Maya trying to help the guy with the, like, rope ladder and go and do her best to go, like, get that into the water because that feels helpful. Yes. 100%. With three of you working at it, it will definitely be ready in time for your companions to arrive. Alice, you're cutting through the water, dragging this poor man with you. But you can see... There are two more that have dropped into the water in front of you. And they smell familiar. My friends, my friends. I say in whale. Can I swim towards them? Yes, you can. Are you going to... They are on the same path as getting back to the boat. Are you going to try to help them along while also bringing this person back? Yeah, I want to be the group taxi. And get everyone to the to safety. Okay. Give me an athletics check. This is for aiding the others. And you can have advantage on this because you are a natural swimming form. Well, I got a 15, so let's see what the other one is. Other one was a 4. So 15 plus my strength modifier is plus 2 in this form. So 17? Yes. You can definitely come up and probably you come up, like, between them. Marcus and Kalina, you both see this... This shark-like, whale-like creature come up between the two of you. It has the crewman's leg in its jaws. And it is this bluish, almost translucence. Almost like glass. What do you do? So it does look like other forms Alice has taken before. So we could reasonably deduce that it might be him. You did see him dive off and that his form did start turning to glass before he hit the water. So this might be what he's changed into. This might just be a local natural fauna. Uh, yeah, with that, Kalina would, uh, not having time to grab her knife, would probably try and punch the thing. <laughs> I mean, it was Alice right off the bat. Well, that is noted for next turn. Marcus, how do you react? Kalina has just pulled your head up and helped stabilize you. Now this shark-like creature has just come between the two of you, as if almost pushing you along or separating you. It already has a crew member in its jaws. I faint. <laughs> Marcus goes limp. The 100% what would happen. Okay. Marcus goes limp. Marcus now has advantage on... We're going to say he has advantage on athletics checks to stay afloat because he will starfish. Maya, it's your turn. Okay. I've helped get this ladder in the water, and I look over the side of the boat, and what do I see? In the distance, they're not far enough away that you can't see them through the mist. The mist is light, but you can't, like, it makes things indistinct. You think that there's something large in the water that's gone between them, and Marcus has 
gone belly up. Uh, okay, what are the ship's crew doing to rescue their friend? They've got the rope ladder. They have been pulling, they've been dropping the sails and are trying to slow the boat and turn it slightly. Are there lifeboats? There are a couple crew members that appear to be lowering a lifeboat. Why is terrible on boats? I feel like, well... Do you want to hold your action? Yeah, I think I'm going to hold my action, um, and my intention is to like help haul them aboard if they get to the rope. And somewhere out to sea, whatever the sea sludge does, is unknown. Kalina, you said you were about to punch this thing. I should note, though, that Marcus appears to have fainted. And I would have noticed him fainting before the shark thing came up, or would have been like, it came up, I hit it, and then I realize he faints. I think that would be the more realistic order of operations. It's up to you. Yeah, we'll go with the initial one, because she's a bit stunned by this shark, so she's going to punch this shark. Oh, a nat one. At least it's for a good cause, I guess. Does not hit. So, you remember how Marcus got knocked out? Yep. You remember how he fainted? Kalina, you think you might have knocked him out instead. Marcus did faint. The punch almost hit him, though. Now Kalina may think that she's responsible. Oh god, oh god, Marcus, I'm sorry! Ah! And she'll try and move close to him. <laughs> pick him up afterwards. As you reach across to try and grab him, you are now basically holding on to Marcus with the dorsal fin of Alice Whale Shark beneath you. And Alice, with your companions, grap- holding around you and this man grappled in your mouth, with him, his head every once in a while popping out of the water as he tries to breathe and possibly almost drowns, you will make it back to the boat and will slowly be able to get people up before I assume you turn back into your form and climb back aboard. Yeah, but to note, I did say in whale, you killed Marcus! Like, you know, like, you know, in whale. So I don't think you understand. The shark creature makes weird noises. And with that, you are all back aboard the Dauntless. As you stand tired, wounded, one of you is unconscious, but has started to come around. As you pause for breath, you hear a loud voice from the quarterdeck. Which one of you lubbers had the idiocy to bring a magnifying glass aboard this ship? You and your fellow colonists look around in confusion. The voice is certainly addressing you, but none of you have a magnifying glass. As you watch the figure stalk down the steps, down the steep, narrow stairs from the quarterdeck to the waist of the ship where you all stand. Mr. Croup, the first mate, stalks directly towards you, Alice. Magnifying glasses, like yourself, are not permitted on the deck. I don't just magnify, I do much more than that. I can... I can... (laughs) do a lot. (laughs) Like, save the man who fell overboard to your crew's idiocy. And I am grateful for that. Well, you don't sound like it. 
I'm grateful for it, and that's why I won't be tossing you overboard. Then say thank you. But you will be staying down below. He spins to look at your midshipman. Mr. Freya, I'm surprised you allowed him in the light, he says sternly. I'm I'm sorry, sir. I, I didn't know, sir. Mr. Ferreira nervously explains. Assign him to Katsaros. And the first mate stalks back up onto the quarterdeck. Your midshipman rounds, looking at all of you. What are you all gawking at? Get back to your work. And he hurls your cloak back at you, Alice gesturing for you to put it on and descend into the depths and darkness of the ship. Alice won't resist. He will simply put his cloak on and raise the hood over his head, but he'll turn to his friends and look at all of them and smile in a very confident way and say, Don't worry. I've been held in much worse prisons than this. With Alice leaving, Sylvie, you are now left without a partner. From up on the quarterdeck, looking down, Sylvia, as you look about, the first mate sees you. He looks you up and down and bellows down. You look nimble, and you have elven eyes. You're removed from the port watch work detail as of immediately. You'll report to Crewman Khan henceforth. Get up in the rigging and replace Crewman Asos in the nest. You are dismissed. What shoots through Sylvie's mind, or what words does she say as she must bid her companions goodbye? I think she's a little bit nervous about being so high up above the ship. But also she's not, like, too worried about it. Maybe it'll be fun, she says as she walks, like, waves and is like, Oh, I guess I'm going. (laughs) I'll be fine. Be careful and, um, don't look down? Yeah, I, I, I'll try. I think that's what they want me to do, though. Try not to fall over. Well, I guess it'll be, f- well, yeah, Alice won't be here to save me, so. And with that encouraging thought, our narrative will branch. Alice, you follow the sailor down below decks. The familiar, stale air hits you, and you weave your way between slung hammocks and small groups of colonists talking or playing games. He leads you past them, past the tables you eat at with your friends, and through a door you've never entered before, though you know from the smell that it is the galley. How does Alice feel about what has happened? about being assigned to the galley. You were just quite heroic. You saved people. Yeah, Alice is imagining the entire boat on fire and him laughing as Mr. Kirk looks at him and he says, you know, something along the lines of, an hourglass can do much worse than you could ever imagine. But then all of that goes out in a puff of smoke as he realizes that he would just be the monster that everyone thinks he could be, especially someone like that. And he accepts his fate, uh, knowing that the way that fate works. And 
it will turn out much worse for him because of his actions than if Alice handles this passively. So he follows and he complies. Mr. Croup says this one's for you now, the sailor says by way of introduction, before quickly leaving. Though, as he begins to leave, he is stopped by a small figure, and they appear to be in a conversation. The galley that opens before you is like a sauna, the cooking heat combined with humidity of the mist wall. A tall half-elf wipes her hands upon her aprons and turns to you. In a musical, sing-songy voice, she says, Welcome, welcome to the galley. We're always happy for another pair of hands. Oh, will you please tell me what is your name? That was... I had no idea that there was entertainment on the ship. This is great. This is a this is a great cruise. I'm Alice, and you are Selene Catarsos. But you can call me Cook. Charmed, I'm sure. But well, we can't waste time. We have a lot underway. We're turning lunch into dinner. You see her look to the other two, the cook's mates, a gnomish lady stumping around on a peg leg, and over to a small halfling, the one that seems to be deep in conversation with the crew member that brought you down, and you catch a snippet of what he's saying, and you hear, it's nepotism, it's nepotism, I tell you. The first mate sent the girl up into the crow's nest. She's getting a nice cushy job. Must be nepotism. I'm sure they're related. Oh, really? Really? Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that you probably are quite right. Before you're dragged back to the cook as she turns and says, Back to your work. And then looks to you and goes, I hope that you know your way around in kitchen and knives because I do need you to pull your weight. So, chop the onions and be sharp about it. I'm very good with knives and sharp objects, dear. I was actually imprisoned in a piece of sharp glass, a mirror, for about 800 years. So, very very familiar with sharp objects. As you say that, you see the gnome sort of look at you out of the corner of her eyes, and in a gravelly smoker voice. Is that so, Sonny? You think you got it rough? The gods sent a monster to eat my leg! And she sticks out her peg leg towards you as the halfling walks past you and sort of grabs you by the cloak and starts pulling you towards a cook station and goes stick with me she always says the weirdest things last week she said that it was a giant squid a few weeks before that she said it was a dragon I find her story quite endearing about missing limb and a monster. I don't mind it, but thank you. 
He puts out his hand. He pro even though you're short, he only comes up to about your waist. You see that cutting counters up for the for the half elf that there's also a lower rung of of counters for the gnome and the halfling as well as a little set of stairs up to the counters for them to bring things up. Neves juts out his hand towards you and says, Pericles, you can call me Perry. What's your name? Perry, I'm Alice. It's very nice to be acquainted with you. That's Louisa, and uh, yeah, uh, you, you already met the cook. That's Selene. What'd you do? How'd you get thrown down here? Or are you just so good that with cooking that they think that you can help us improve things? Well, to be honest, I... I threw myself off of the ship, turning myself into a whale shark-like creature and saved a man from falling overboard along with my two friends who, one of them passed out. I'm not really sure what's going on with him. And then some idiot came around and said, Hey, spyglass, we can't have you burning our ship. And I was like, well... I wouldn't do that, but whatever. And now I'm here. And I wouldn't say I can cook, but I definitely can craft something delicious. Well, we'll get you cooking soon enough. Dice that on you. Dice it like throw it and see what side it lands on? Is this a divination practice? He quietly swears to himself in the traveler's tongue. A sort of amalgamation of a couple different languages. It's very common for the halflings to use this tongue. And borrows a little bit from common, a little bit from elvish, from gnomish, dwarvish. But the root of it is a language that perhaps was the first halfling language or hails from somewhere else. As he does a brief swear before he Climbs the small little stair ladder to get himself up, and then he shows you how to chop an onion. He says the first time he'll show you, and the last time he'll show you, and that if you can't chop an onion, they might start chopping you. How terrifying. Listen, that language that you were speaking, I've never heard it before. What is it? It's just what we speak back home. Well, I'll tell you something. If I chop these onions well... Will you teach me a little bit of it every day? Sort of taps his nose a little bit and looks at you. You chop them well. You chop the rest well. You do what you get told. You don't make a fuss. Yeah. I'll teach you a bit of it. And Alice will begin chopping even before he's done with the sentence. After you've worked your way through a couple different vegetables, adding them into the soup that is being made from the leftovers of lunch that will be now served for dinner. The cook turns just slightly, looking towards Pericles and goes, Pericles, be a dear, bring me the breath bulbs and feel free to take our new hand with you. She says in her sing-songy voice, and Pericles sighs this way. Oh, me, me? I, I'm the hand? I, 
I'm I'm Alice. I'm not a hand. I'm a full person. Well, you're a pair of hands down here, and she'll learn your name eventually. Oh, well, she should know my name. All right, onward then. She's probably forgotten it already. She's probably thinking up the next thing she has to sing. And he will take you down to a storage area where there are boxes with various things in them, various different pieces of food, and there's a couple barrels. And he hands you a crowbar and he takes a crowbar and he needs help getting a lid off of a barrel. And you see that he's brought with him. It's like a basket, but not. Almost more like a bat cross between a basket and a bowl. So that whatever's put in it won't leak down. And he's also brought two paring knives with him. I see. So he starts to try and get the lid off. You gonna help? I am going to help. With the two of you working together, you can pop it off. And inside it, you find a barrel filled with what appears to be seawater and amethyst-colored kelp. But as you look at it, this kelp, it has small green bulbs or nodules that are attached to its fronds. You've never seen anything like this. Huh, I've never seen anything like this. I'd be surprised if you did. Got this down. Down on the other side of the wall. You were allowed to bring something like that back with you? The captain put a lot of stock in it. As he starts to tell you a story, he's going to give you a paring knife, and he's going to show you how to cut the kelp around the bulbs so that you're just getting the bulbs, and then you're getting the kelp separated from them. I see. And in one of the baskets is going all the bulbs, and in the other one, the kelp. Cut into small... Not, like, just just with it, the bulb section cut out so that... Probably they're going to cut that kelp up to maybe add it into the sauce. Don't know what they're going to do with the bulbs yet, though. And he begins to tell you a story about the captain's little man. Back when we first were doing our first run through, the captain, back when we stopped in Merstwall the first time, you see, she picked up this little kid. He's always had a soft spot for them. Ugh, it was a nightmare. Still is a nightmare. Oh. Mama's boy. Oh, you see, back when we were on the other side of the wall, there was a storm, got hit by one. He fell overboard. Thought he was dead. Till, one day, after the ships, after we had pulled up, beached the ship, and brought it up onto the sand, kid comes out of the water. It's been days. He should be dead. Should have drowned out there. What do you think was with him? What? As you so earnestly ask what, you see that you are, just by asking questions and listening to this guy's story, getting perhaps closer to him, that he's opening up to you more. And he continues to tell his story in which you quickly realize that the captain's little man must be Quintus, the orphan from Merstwall that the captain adopted, and that he had, after he'd fallen overboard, been saved when he fell in the water. Saved by the serpent. That 
creature, that monstrous thing shackled to the front of the ship, it had saved him. It had saved him by first keeping him above water and then getting him to eat these bulbs, which then let him breathe underwater for a time. And the captain, it thanks, had captured the creature and was keeping it. That monster. Yeah, it looks horrifying. Huh. Not the mo- not th- the monster. And the kid, the kid just oh, the kid. Oh, he seems to have such this weird soft spot for it. It's it's oh, calls it Sharuna. It's oh, messed up. Why would you name something like that? Ugh. Who says that he named it? That it doesn't name itself. Well, ever since that, he's that's when he started changing. It's when the it's when he picked up that sight, being able to see through the mist, and the captain started giving him more cushy jobs, and now he's just her nice little cabin boy. She always keeps him close. Huh. And with that, you continue to pick them out of the barrel, cutting the nodules out. Can you give me a dexterity cook's utensils check? Sure. That would be a 12 plus 2, 14. You damage only two of the bulbs in the whole process. Oh, oh, sorry, these are damaged. Uh... Pericles just waves it off, says that the cook probably won't even notice. And the way you damage them doesn't actually pop them, doesn't actually pop the liquid out from the inside, it just really has lightly cut them, so they're probably going to burst a lot quicker. And he's like, we're going to drain them into the soup anyway, so we'll be fine. Can I try and pocket one? Give me a slight of hand check. Uh Uh-huh, 15 plus 4. That's a 19. (laughs) His passive perception is lower than that, and he is not directly perceiving you to notice. So you will pocket one. With that, you seem to very quickly realize that this, that Pericles, might be the ship's gossip. Perfect. (laughs) He might be the ship's gossip, and you are an attentive ear that will happily listen to him, and you head back in. And he'll tell you some more, some rumors, some gossip, some stories. Can I somehow push the conversation to tell me, like, the location of Quintus at certain times that I can find him? You find out that Quintus, as the captain's cabin boy, comes to collect her meals from the galley every day, three times a day. And if you stay here, you're sure to run into him at some point. Wonderful. And with that, let's move to the crow's nest. Sylvie. Sylvie, as you grasp the ropes leading you up to the crow's nest, they are rough under your hands. 
Hands that are tender from many days of hard work aboard the ship. The higher you climb, the more you can even feel the movement of the ship. What on deck seemed more than just a little as a gentle rocking. It becomes a heavy sway with each foot you ascend. How does Sylvie feel about being assigned to the crow's nest? How does Sylvie feel about this precarious climb, especially after seeing someone fall from the ropes into the water not long ago? Sylvie's a little unsure, especially because she's not with her friends anymore. She really finds comfort in being able to, like, go talk to Kalina if she feels like she needs help with something, or Maya, or Marcus, or Alice. So being separated from them is a little bit nerve-wracking for her. I think she's conscious of the fact that falling from the height would not be fun, but she's not terribly worried about the climb. She's a pretty decent climber and probably would be fine if she fell, you know? As you finally reach the top, a hand reaches out to pull you up. As you clamber into the crow's nest, you find that attached to that hand is Luscious. He looks rather shocked to see you up here, and you do remember that he was assigned up to the crow's nest after no one would work with him on the work details below. What brings you up here? A friendly voice asks, and you see another man standing behind Luscious. Um... I... am assigned to work up here now? I... I don't know if I really know the particulars, it just... Oh, my partner got... Well, he has skin like a mirror, and turns out you can't have mirrors on the deck of a ship because, like, the sun or whatever, so then, then I didn't have anybody to work with, and so they put me up here instead? As you babble on, the man standing behind Luscious... His skin is coppery, he has brown eyes and short black hair. He's got a lanky build and a slightly long face. His left ear is studded in three places, and his right ear is missing a chunk from the top. He chuckles. (laughs) It's a long and dangerous way to go just to avoid a work detail. He sounds like he might have a good sense of humor. And puts out his hand. You can call me Khan. Oh, I'm Sylvie. Oh yeah, they told me I would be working with you, I guess. Yeah. Welcome to my nest. And he gestures around him to a small, cramped space. It's sort of like a bucket at the top of the mast. Just very precarious, swaying back and forth. As he looks between you and Luscious, he recognizes that Luscious probably knows who you are and says... I don't think you two need to be introduced. And he holds out a pair of strange-looking glasses. Don't put them on yet. They can be a bit disorienting at first, he cautions. These, and he gestures to the glasses in his hands, and you realize that he and Luscious are both wearing similar sets. These are the eyes of the many. We have three of them, and they have some kind of bond between them. When you wear them, if you stay within about ten feet of the other wearers, it pools your sight, making us each see all the better. 
he reaches out and grabs hold of your arm, and Luscious grabs your other one. Steady. Put them on now. We won't let you fall. She'll also say, this feels like a weird trust exercise. Khan lets out another chuckle, and Luscious smiles weakly. As you place them on, you feel a moment of dizziness, of extreme vertigo. You almost feel as if you're seeing from three different perspectives, and then as they coalesce into one, it's as if you see everything too clearly. The ship rolls beneath you, and your stomach protests. Taking a deep breath, you close your eyes, and you feel the sensation fade. You open them, and your vision feels normal once more. Khan looks at you, he's got a big smile, and Luscious looks concerned. Before Khan says, You alright? Yeah? I mean, that was awful, but I, I think I'm fine. Whew. Elven eyes. Whew. Elven eyes. You see Khan as he sort of braces on the edge and looks out. Whew. Yep. Mm-hmm. I understand why they sent you up here. Whew. This will be good at night be able to see better. It's a shame what happened to Asos. Do you know what caused him to fall? No. That's the guy that fell into the water? Yeah. No, what happened? I was asking you. Oh, I don't know. I just saw him fall. And my friend went in the water and rescued him. As you take a few more moments getting used to the eyes of the many, Khan banters back and forth with you and with Luscious a bit. And Luscious tells you about the first time that he put on the eyes of the many. The reason that Khan and him both were holding you is because he almost fell to the deck below. So he almost stumbled back. To which Khan interjects that that was not the worst thing to ever happen. The worst thing to ever happen was when Luscious decided to try and use magic to see if he could... If, if you guys could all see with magic-seeing eyes. Oh no, that had been far worse. The entire mist wall's made of magic. That's clear to see, because they were out for the next 12 hours, unconscious, from the overload. So no magic, that's like a bad idea? Khan starts in and then Luscious finishes. No, Sylvie, magic on water twists it. Magic, when it's on land, it you can ground yourself. You can pull in the natural energies, but when you're on water, you're borrowing from the chaoticness of it, from its ebb and its flow, and it will twist and it will turn, and it is very likely to slam back and hurt you. And you need to be very careful. If, you're, if you use magic that can hurt someone else, it's it, it might come right back at you. If you use magic to fix someone, uh, well, sometimes it will fix more things than you want or have side effects, such as healing magic. But if you use magic to, to divine, to see, well, some of them, more natural magic, you can get away with it. It won't have undue side effects. It might just... Make the magic not very reliable, but others, well, I don't know if what the fact that we were linked when I tried to 
allow to cast detect magic, to, to utilize and see through the eyes of the arcane, I I don't know if it was that that, gave, that knocked us out or if it was just the amount of magic flowing and fissuring through this mist. Huh. Weird. Does that mean... And she'll pause and look at Khan and then look at Lashus and then look at Khan and go, can you still read people's thoughts then? Or is that like a... You see him sort of pale a bit. He goes, I'm doing my best not to. I don't know what it will do if I somehow, if I accidentally do. And Khan sort of puts his hand on, on Lash's shoulder and says, I've heard that he's done a lot of bad things. He's done... He's definitely made enemies. But... He's been a good watch up here. And I've decided that I'm going to put anything, all those rumors and such, and whatever people's baggage with him behind us. And anyone that comes up here, I expect them to do the same. Oh. Yeah, no problem. I don't think that he's the same as the rumors say anyway. I did, however, she'll kind of smile at him. I did hear that you're pretty unbearable to work with. He will laugh sheepishly and say, No one would partner with me, even when assigned. And they tried to push me overboard more than once. And he'll sort of look down at his feet before he looks out to sea, looking in a different direction. And Khan will look out to sea in a different direction, and you will as well. But you're allowed to have whatever kind of conversation you'd like. Is there anything you'd like to discuss while you continue to look out? I don't know. There's a lot of thoughts rolling through Sylvie's head. What are they? She's definitely thinking, should I say that people think that he's spying for the warden? Should I ask about that? That feels invasive, especially after I learned that people are trying to throw him overboard. I don't know. I should thank him for being nice to me, but is that weird? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to talk about all the stuff that happened on the island. There's a whole lot of mist around you. It's quite boring what you're looking at at the moment. Is this the whole job? We just look at all of the Do you ever actually see anything? Yep. Uh, Every couple of days, there's a marker that we're looking for. Right now, we're looking for the uh, fingers. One of us will see them. Uh, They're they're sort of a rocky formation. Juts up out of the water at strange angles, almost like a hand. There's five of them. And they come to jutting points taller than where we are. At least twice as high as the ship. We don't get close to them, but it's a good marker. It tells us that we're going in the right direction. Hmm. How'd you end up on this ship, Con? How'd you decide... Did you... Did you decide to be a sailor? How'd you end up here? Huh. I grew up back in Port Neartide. Well. My family sort of fell apart. And I took to the water. My brother was with me first for a while. Then, well... 
He took a swipe at the captain. Last time we were in uh, Mercewell, she uh, spoke to the warden, and uh, he got uh, sentenced to the prison. I guess we just wanted to get away. Just wanted to get away from the past. This is a pretty good, uh, good chance for you. Getting out of the prison. Getting to go to Atscan. It's pretty. It's it's beautiful. Is it? I'm excited. I. Beautiful and dangerous. Nothing wrong with that. I thought we'd be stuck on that island forever. Guess it would have been fine, but. Now you got a real chance at freedom. You hear Lasha say, "As free as we can all be, at least until." Till she comes calling. Who? The warden? Yeah. She never really talked about the future, but I'm sure... I am sure that we haven't seen the last of her. She'll want all the opportunities Atsukan offers. Maybe she won't make it. Or maybe we'll leave before she does. He will shoot you a look with a big smile, and he'll quietly say, I hope so. I hope she doesn't make it. Is there anything else that comes to mind that Sylvie wants to say? Or would you like to make a perception check? Yeah, I want to make a perception check. What do I perceive? So, the eyes of the many work in a couple different ways. So, the first thing that I need to tell you is that the eyes of the many give a plus one for every person beyond yourself that is wearing them. They also allow any base senses, so like your dark vision, now the two humans have dark vision that are wearing them. If Alice was wearing them, then everyone would be able to see in color in the dark. Uh, To be honest, if they were to put them on the kid, on Quintus, then people would be able to see through the mist. But Khan also mentions to you that the reason that they don't have the kid up here is that he's too small to climb up through the rigging and the captain is he is too valuable so you have a plus two to your perception check because you have two people other than yourself wearing them and you have advantage so long as you stay within ten feet of each other but the space is smaller than ten feet yeah, I was about to say, it seems like it would be pretty hard to be more than 10 feet away from each other. I rolled a 21. Well, a 16 plus 5. You think that you can make out in the distance two things. You can see what almost looks like very closely t- to what Khan described. Five stones jutting out of the water. They're sort of contorted and twisted by the wind and the waves, how they've been eroded. They're black, and they come to these very sharp points. The fingers. But you can also see out in the water lots of little animals. What looks like perhaps a migration or a a school of animals diving dolphin-like out of the water but the color is wrong with the distance you can't really make out much but you think their snouts their nose goes a lot longer out than it should 
Weird. What are those? As you draw attention to them, you see Khan sort of lean. Ah, there's a school of blade nose. Pesky, annoying, tricksters. You ever, uh, ever heard of a swordfish? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. They're like them, but bigger, more intelligent. Their long blade-like nose serrated on all sides like a saw. Uh, and they've got this, like, plate on the top of their skull for... Almost like for ramming. They really like to jump and spray water at people. <laughs> ah! The fingers! Right over there. And he'll point in the direction in which you saw them earlier. Does that mean we're almost there? He'll look at you and then just shake his head. I thought that was probably the answer. And with that thought, he'll bellow down that the fingers are and mark their heading, and the Dauntless will begin to reorient its course so that they will go around the fingers, angling off in a bit of a different direction. And as they do, we will descend to the debarnacling challenges that are ahead. As Carlos has had to step away for the rest of the evening and will no longer be with us, Marcus has still not recuperated. He has not roused himself from unconsciousness. He's been taken below deck at this point. Kalina, you are paired off with Ulrich Hode. He's a friend of Alice and Maya's. He even came to visit all of you on the first day that you were back from Caligos Manor. And while you are paired with Ulrich Hode, Maya, well, Maya, at the start of the work detail, you noticed Petros was hovering near you. You thought little of it, given that he seemed to hover near you at every opportunity since you boarded the ship. Sometimes a reassuring shadow, sometimes a bit of an intrusive nuisance. Depending on the moment and your mood, of course. This time, it seems standing so close paid off for him, though, as the midshipmen had paired you two together for debarnacling the ship. You now stand at the wooden railing above the section of hull you've been assigned to clear, And for the past several minutes, while you have set up the rope, sling, and seat, the two of you have been arguing. Petros will restate his argument. I should be the one to go down below. So close to the water, it's dangerous. And in all this mist, who knows what could be out there? Well, it might be dangerous, but honestly, I don't think I'm strong enough to hold the rope with you on the swing. And I... I just... I don't think I can do it. Petros mulls it over. And after a few banters back and forth, you will win the argument. And Petros will lower you overboard. Maya, the spray of the sea, catches and splashes up at you as you begin to go about debarnacling your section of the side of the ship. It is slow work. Careful work precarious and dangerous work. As you do, a conversation will occur above you. 
I'm going to let you decide how much of this conversation Maya hears, and if she reacts to it at all. This conversation is taking place on deck. You're down by a bit above the waterline. Mm-hmm. Another easy day doing what you like, Petros's gruff voice says. Another day hard at work, just like you, the cheerful tones of Silas counters. What are you doing here? Petros growls with a tone of annoyance. Sent to repair this area of railing. One of the crews reported a loose spindle. A likely story. No doubt you're just looking for Maya. And why would that be a likely story? And why not? Because I'm going to marry her. No, I think you'll find I am going to marry her, Silas retorts. She's wearing my knife, and it goes quite nicely with that fork she's been carrying around. I've even seen her use it to cut her food. I'll win her over. (laughs) At least I've proposed. I'm closer to it than you. No closer than I, old friend. She hasn't said yes yet to you. Well, you'd have to talk to her to even ask her. Good luck. Have you even had a chance to speak with her? No, the carpenter has only just started to allow me to off on my own work. I have not had a chance to speak with her since Merstwell. You? This is the first chance I've had to partner with her, though not for the lack of trying. And there is a note of disbelief in Silas's voice. Partner with you? You mean she's down there? And Silas's head will pop over the side of the ship, followed by Petros's, as they both look down at you, Maya. Did you hear any parts of the conversation that occurred above you? If you did, what are your thoughts on it? If you decided not to hear it, what were you thinking about? I mean, there's not really much to attract Maya's attention down here with her just de-barnacling away. But I imagine between the noise of the rushing water and the noise of her de-barnacling tool, she probably didn't catch that much. Like, I imagine she probably, it took her a little bit to notice that there was a conversation going on. And then she might have stopped debarnacling for a minute to listen. And I think, you know, she she probably caught her name that somebody was talking about her. But I don't know, I think it was probably too too loud and too late in the conversation for her to have heard the full gist of what was happening. So I think she's I don't know, curious perhaps but not really any the wiser as to what exactly they were talking about. But if she sees two heads peeking over the side, she'll look up and say, Oh! Hi, Silas! Hi, Maya. Be safe down there. I'm trying! And then he'll turn to Petros and say, You hold on. You make sure she's safe. And Petros beams. That's what I was doing till you interrupted me. (laughs) And Silas will turn and move a bit further down deck, but will begin to tighten that spindle. Which was true. 
Kalina, you now assigned with Ulrich Hode, you stand aft, far from where the creature is chained to the figurehead of the ship. Kalina, which one of you is going down, and who is staying up? Who will hold on to the rope, and who will take the debarnacler in hand and descend? Kalina would have definitely volunteered to go down. Ulrich Hode slowly helps you lower yourself down. The side of the ship, it is wet, and the spray of the sea catches you. You hold on, and he steadies the rope swing, and you realize just how dangerous this is. If a big swell came along, it's quite possible that it would catch you. Maybe even pull you off, and you must assume that that's one of the reasons for the individual holding you above, to perhaps jerk you up out from the way of incoming waves, or to steady you and help you hold on. For your debarnacling, because there are no rom-com conversations going on above you, we will do this as a skill challenge. We are going to do this in three phases. The ship, it will lurch, a large wave pushing it. And as it sways, you'll swing out and back in. What do you do to steady yourself? How skill challenges work is they have a set DC, and they are an accruement of successes or failures over a period of time. These successes and failures will determine how well you've debarnacled. So as the ship lurches, as you're swung out and you're swinging back towards the ship, what skill will you use to keep yourself on the swing or to help this use this swing to debarnacle? Let's use acrobatics to try and stay on the swing. Give me an acrobatics check. Uh, 17. A success. A few minutes later, the vessel is hit by a large wave. As this wave is coming down, give me a perception check. To credit those. Perception. Oh, well, did okay. 17. You notice just in time, and you stabilize and hold yourself. Over the next few hours, as you slowly move along, moving along your section, debarnacling, it is a grueling, tiring experience. One in which you, you want to be able to relax, but you can't because of how you need to sit and sway and keep yourself maintained so that you don't accidentally slip into the water. And as you are debarnacling the last few, a fin slices through the water near you. The fin rises up and submerges. And then again. And then again. 
Ulrich from above and will call out saying, There's something in the water! Be careful! Okay, so she thinks she might have saw something and then hearing Ulrich see it, she'll look for the fin first before Debarn trying to continue. Give me a dexterity saving throw. 14. You are hit square in the face by a spray of water before you hear a high-pitched clicking sound and a long grayish creature mottled blue that looks similar to a shark but with a long saw blade like nose and a crescent moon shaped tail sort of almost laughs in the water before spraying more water up at you and then it dives and then jumps out it appears whatever this is is playing with you to handle this part of the skill challenge what skill would you like to use oh man so roleplay wise Kalina would try to intimidate the thing even though I know she's not good at it but she would definitely try it roll away Uh, that's a four as you open your mouth to intimidate this creature to bellow at it to say something to to wave your to, and yell and wave your barnacle at it it shoots a spray of water that hits you straight in the mouth and you half chokingly gurgle as you spit it the water back out and try to hold on and this creature is going to continue to swim alongside and then you see others an entire school, a shoal, a pod of them, dancing, jumping, and cutting through the waves around the ship. There are shouts from above. Here, they might be called blade noses or blade nose kites. And now, for the conclusion of this skill challenge, will you please give me an athletics check? 22. Over the next minutes, so you hear 7th bell, and then you hear 8th bell. You're pulled up. You drag yourself over the side as Ulrich helps you. You're both covered in sweat. You are covered from head to toe in the spray of the sea. And the mist walls. Humidity. The moisture. Those blade-nosed kites. They danced. They made fun. They played. And as you lay there, you recuperate a bit. And with that, your watch is ended. And for all of you, we'll just have to see what the rest of this day brings and the other days to come next time. for listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description.
I think Carlos. You are Carlos. I think Marcus. I am. What about Carlos? What a swell guy. Oh, mama. I don't like that reaction. Give me a human handling check. Ah, if only there was a human handling. (laughs) Insight check on my mind, because I don't think that's real. Just joking. Josh, did you just die laughing? It was not a laugh. It was a... (gasps) (sighs) Cleaning in a very unwanted bath that way. (laughs) I can't wait for us all to get back together because I feel like some of us have learned some very interesting things. Yep. Mm -hmm. What? Really? Who's learned interesting things? (laughs) Oh, no one. What? Someone learned an interesting thing? Please, share with the class. (laughs) (laughs) 